We're here with the 45th episode of Fear Frequency, and for our new listeners, it's a weekly horror podcast where we round up the latest horror news and review a movie or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Fazard. And if you're a new listener, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review on iTunes. Uh, and remember, you can always email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com, and we'll read your message on the show. And uh, this week, we actually have a fan email from Thomas Frannick. Uh, there's one problem with Fear Frequency, that I need to wait a week for another episode. I really like your show, mostly because you guys have a really similar taste if it comes to horror movies to mine. Thank you for Mayhem. I would have never seen it, and it's awesome. Have you seen Stephanie by Blumhouse? I've rented on Amazon just because it was listed on their wiki, and the movie is amazing. I think that you should review it because nobody is talking about it. Have a nice day, guys. You never know who might be listening, so thanks, Thomas. Uh, so, I've never heard of Stephanie by Blumhouse. But I'm looking it up right now, and I've never heard of it. But, no, I haven't um, heard of it either. I guess we'll check it out this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> might as well, right? It doesn't really have terrible reviews either. I've never even heard of this. It has Frank Grillo in it. No, I mean, Blumhouse really cranks out a lot of movies, so it could it just be... It came out last year? Huh. All right, cool. Well, thanks, dude. I appreciate you alerting us to this movie. And yeah, we do have similar taste in horror movies because... We both kind of really got into horror movies together, so we all kind of, we both experienced a lot of our favorites at the same time. So that's I think that's why we have similar taste. Right. And also, I appreciate your email. That was a really kind email. I didn't read it before the show, and it, it got me. It got me right in the feels. <laughs> so that was a really kind email. We really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you liked Mayhem. That was my favorite movie of last year. <laughs> yeah, Far I feel like that one... That one is still uh, got like a little bit of flack or was a bit underrated, but dude, yes, yeah, it's, it's so dumb. There's like four movies coming out, so there's Office Uprising, which is a crackle movie that's very similar. Yep, and it stars Jane Levy. There's the Belko Experiment, which I think is the worst, or not the worst. It's worse than Mayhem, in my opinion. And then there's Mayhem, which is like the best one, but no one really talks about <laughs> it. But I love that movie. Yeah, it's definitely a it's lot great. of fun. And, I mean, that that was, like, probably one of our earliest reviews on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, like, last September, and we, actually, we got to talk with Joe Lynch. So, this guy, Thomas, you went far back. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Way back, right near the beginning. You guys missed last week. We had, like, an existential crisis at the end of the show <laughs> that I had to cut out, thankfully. George's hard drive filled up. So if you notice that the end of the last week's episode was a little weird and featured exclusively me at the end, that's because I had to splice together <laughs> audio clips to create the end of our episode. <laughs> that's why it just kind of ends. <laughs> but um, we we got we had this thing like, where we were convinced our show started on October that we posted the first October episode on Halloween. Oh, on Halloween! Yeah, but we we actually posted it at the very beginning of October. So that explained a lot. <laughs> This week, we're coming at you live from Romania, and we're shaking things up a little bit. We're only going to cover one big news story, and George is going to tell me about Slice, and I'm going to tell him about Predator, and then we're going to review The Nun. And because we're getting into the Halloween season, that means we're going to have multiple movies uh, most weeks from now until the end of the year, which is awesome for you guys. But before we get into that, I'm getting an incoming transmission from Haddonfield, Illinois. It sounds like Dr. Sam Loomis is dying again, so that means we have a Halloween alert. Uh, George... The Halloween premiere happened over the weekend, did you hear? Yes, it did, at the Toronto International Film Festival. 
Uh, and the reviews are out, and they're pretty damn good. The movie is sitting at 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the general consensus, without spoiling anything, is that it's very gory, very funny, and a worthy successor to the original movie for the most part. And there were only two negative reviews I saw on there. The AV Club says it's another bad sequel watering down the franchise, and Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert's website, which is weird because he's dead, says that it's not scary. Uh... I've never read a RogerEbert.com review, so I don't trust them. <laughs> and I don't know, this AV Club blurb sounds kind of pretentious. So overall, can't please anyone, or can't please everyone, but it turns out the premiere was pretty damn good and people were excited. Yeah, um, like you said, early reviews look really good. I saw uh, Jason Blum tweet a picture right after the premiere, but when it was at 100% and only five critics had reviewed it, and he said something like, so beautiful while it lasts or something so <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh, great yeah but i'm happy to I, hear that the general consensus is very positive for this yeah and uh i've already had the end spoiled for me so that was cool but i already kind of because <laughs> there's a bunch of fucking idiots uh who came onto my channel and despite me saying hey don't spoil it in the comments because i don't want to see it and i'll just delete it one person said, hey, where can I find spoilers? And then someone responded with the entire plot of the movie, which is cool. So I deleted that before I read it. But then one guy just responded, I saw it, and then followed it up with everything that happens at the end of the movie. So I, I like read half of the end and didn't really spoil a whole lot of it. And I'm glad that it wasn't completely spoiled. So I deleted his comment. And now I just have a policy where if I see I saw it at TIFF or I saw it or I saw it or i'm gonna see it soon i just delete the comment that's just been my play because like people get weird when you post a spoiler review two days before a movie is out but then you can come on to my video that i didn't even see the movie and just spoil the entire thing no fuck you stay off my channel that's how i feel right now like i I, a lot of the at first i was just deleting the comments but then i ended up just shadow banning the people i was like if you're so stupid that you're gonna come on here and ruin the movie for people who haven't seen it myself included like you don't deserve the power to comment on my channel right and (laughs) that's where i'm at and it is like pretty or like far ahead from initial release i mean the general you know it's it's over a month until it's going to be the worldwide release so like there's really you know it's not like we have any kind of control on being able to see it any faster yeah there's (laughs) so stupid and i'm pissed at miramax right now because whoever their agency they're using for copyright claims fucking sucks they claimed my halloween 6 review and they just they auto just decline disputes they don't listen to fair use and so i've been editing and re-uploading my h20 review for the better part of a week so that's why you guys haven't seen that yet it's because i keep getting copyright claims on it but it's it's so stupid because it's all fair use, obviously. Uh, so I have one more edit to do that I think will fix it. And so that'll be up tomorrow. But I was, I'm was i really mad at Miramax. My tactic has been to slow the footage down that gets claimed to 85%. <laughs> and that seems to work. But then they just pick another part. And now I've like clipped the review up so much that like I never use more than 10 seconds of <laughs> continuous footage from the movie. And if I do, I just slowed it down to 85%. Yeah. And I feel like I finally got them. So whatever agency, I think it's like E1. Fuck you. 
All right, we're moving into segment one. And this week we have one news story, but it's a big one. So we were really excited after Shutter had Joe Bob's last drive-in, even though it was a giant disaster that they quote-unquote broke the internet with, which is kind of funny because in this announcement we're going to talk about, they said they broke the internet even though he wrote an article saying that he doesn't like that term because it means that people only tuned in to like break a record and not actually see him so it's weird that they're using it as a tagline for this but anyways joe bob's coming back again twice this year for a thanksgiving special and a christmas special which is awesome but on top of that he's going to get an ongoing regular series on shutter in 2019 which is crazy. That is insane. So the general manager of Shudder said, the response to our first marathon was overwhelming and we can't think of a better gift to our members than to bring Joe Bob back for the holidays. We've been hard at work with Joe Bob and his team to make these new marathons unforgettable events and we have even bigger plans for 2019. Then Joe Bob followed up with, in November, we're turning Black Friday into Red Thursday with the best deadly dinner movies in history. And in December, we have a very special way to fill that void felt by American households ever since ABC stopped airing the Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey Claymation (laughs) Special. So the Thanksgiving special is called The Dinners of Death, and that's coming out on November 22nd. And A Very Joe Bob Christmas is coming out on December 21st. And I am excited. I really hope Shudder can get their shit together so that we can actually watch this. Yeah, I think them saying they broke the internet isn't really a fair term because I think it really just broke all their servers. I don't think it was like... (laughs) Like, it broke yeah. their internet. I don't think it broke the internet as a whole. But No, my internet's pretty fast. <laughs> like, I pay for 250 up and down. So it definitely wasn't a problem on my end. It was a problem on their end. It's like, I, I heard him talking about it. I read about it. There's an article, and he was saying stuff like, he's like, how is there a finite spa- like amount of internet bandwidth? He's like, the internet was created by the Defense Department. You think there's actually a limit on any of this? <laughs> He was like going off. He was pretty pissed. So, well, hopefully uh, they. I just uh, learned from their mistakes. Got enough backup servers so all the users can actually watch it this time on the night that it comes out. But I'm really excited for this. I first I love the name of very Joe Bob Christmas. I just find that Me really too. endearing. But um, I don't know. It'll be cool. It's a bit disappointing. It's there's not one in October. Uh, right, I was, you think they'd want to do one for Halloween. Right, I was hoping for some kind of Halloween marathon, but this is a little weirder, but that might almost make it better in a way, because we get yeah. things that we wouldn't expect. <laughs> I mean, dinner... <laughs> I hope that they continue to add like new movies to Shudder, uh, because they've been really on top of adding awesome stuff. And just so I want to point out, the problem we have is not with the catalog or the people who work at Shudder, it's with Shudder's backend, which is... It's it's been terrible since that service launch. Yeah. Um, so te- hopefully they can improve right, it. Right, like technical issues, the app not being very great on most systems. It's just except iPhone. The except app for is like iPhone, the iPhone app's like for perfect. Some, but. For some reason, it's so weird. <laughs> they have this amazing, like, incredible app that's updated for iPhone 10 and has an awesome UI and it <laughs> runs really well. But every other device, it's it's like. <laughs> it's like two shits to the wind it's so bad <laughs> yeah it's really really strange but i mean at least they're providing us with great content now i mean they've they've always yeah. had some good like deep cuts on there but like you said they've added a ton of new pretty quality stuff to their catalog they added a bunch of john carpenter stuff recently 
And they added uh, the director's cut of Nightbreed, which uh, that movie was written and directed by Clive Barker. So I I really want to watch that director's cut because apparently the studio tore that movie to shit. But the director's cut is really cool. I think the one of the bad guys in that movie, Dr. Decker, is one of the coolest horror villains. And I'm kind of thinking of dressing up as him for Halloween. It's the one with the sack on his head and the two buttons for eyes. <laughs> that would be a and fun And Trick or Treat one. Studios made a great mask of it. Um, but they also just added seasons one and two of Channel Zero. They're going to add season three this month. But I want to point out, I'm going to make it the album art for this episode. <laughs> but the image they sent along with the press release, because I get Shutter's press releases now, uh, was... They were, like, attached as an image of Jobot, but they used one from like the 80s <laughs> like or the a 90s. Classic, like classic, like, Monster Vision Jobob. Jobob. Yeah, it's like a young Jobob. It was really weird. <laughs> That's not what he looks like anymore. <laughs> so weird. But regardless, I'm glad he's coming back. I feel like a Thanksgiving special from him will be something incredible. Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of any Deadly Dinner movies off the top of my head. But Thanks Killing is all that comes to mind for me. Yeah, <laughs> and that might even be too schlocky. Like, yeah. I don't know if that would even be <laughs> in the running. But, like, I, I don't know. I'm interested. Um, because this is really going to be a surprise. I have no idea what they're going to pick for that, or even Hell House LLC two. Hell House LLC two. Which, guys, that story got even weirder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the release got pulled because. They say it's a good thing, but I guess they got some sort of distribution and the release got pulled. So, yeah, that was supposed to be Hell out, House like, LOC two is coming out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then they're like, "Just kidding, we have big news coming," and then have been radio silent on it. So for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who knows what's happening with Hell House LOC two? What the hell is going on with that movie, dude? <laughs> and even Christmas movies, like, what can they even? I mean, like, they might get Black Christmas, the first slash movie. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Silent, Silent Night, Deadly Night. night. Definitely. Yeah, dude. I hope they do, too, so then they can get Garbage Day. And... <laughs> 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 Have you seen Silent Night, Deadly Night 2? No. <laughs> That's what the Garbage Day meme is from. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, my God. Everyone go look up the Garbage Day meme. It's great. <laughs> But hopefully he does both of those movies and Black Christmas and Krampus. Or uh, Santa's sleigh with Goldberg as Santa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are some other Christmas horror movies? There really aren't that many. What was that one we watched last year that was so bad? Um, Do you remember the plot at all? Remember, it was the Santa with one eye and the ripoff Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, I try to forget that. I try, I try to block that one out because it was so terrible. Yeah, that one was pretty bad. And then there was another one I watched that just got dropped on Netflix last year called Red Christmas. D. Wallace, I think, wrote and directed it and starred in it. And it was like an Australian movie where her aborted son ended up not being dead when she aborted him. And he grew up and then came back and was all deformed and killed them all. It was a bizarre movie. <laughs> That's a pretty out there plot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I didn't make up a single part of that. <laughs> that was that's the exact plot. Yeah. I think the the other one was called Once Upon a Time at Christmas. Oh, that does sound right. It sounds familiar. But yeah. I mean, they're gonna have to do some some deep dives. I feel like to fill out a whole. I mean, if they're gonna do another 24 hour marathon, then they're gonna need quite a few <laughs> themed horror movies. They might have to. I just stretch it a bit. Remember. 
last year I had this whole plan to do a weekly four weeks of reviews for Christmas, you know, for Halloween, mm-hmm. like or for Christmas. I mean, not Halloween. I'm really stupid. So I was gonna do one review, one Christmas horror movie review a week, and then Once Upon a Time at Christmas took it out of me so hard that I was like, <laughs> that that's my Christmas review. Enjoy it, everyone. I mean, the only really high budget one would be Krampus, but I doubt they'd get that one or have like too much to say about it but if they have a lot in mind which they most likely do like at this point i'd assume they have a roster set up i'm i'm in the dark as to what most of the movies are going to be yeah it'll be exciting and whatever i'm actually pretty stoked for whatever he's doing in 2019 having an ongoing series with joe bob sounds awesome yeah i mean i'd love like a monthly or weekly it doesn't even have to be a full marathon but just maybe one or two movies with some commentary on them. I think that'd be sweet. Like to just they have... upload a movie every Friday or something. Yeah. I mean, just have like one movie, like a feature Joe Bob pick of the catalog every week or something. Just one movie. And yeah. he talks about it. That'd be awesome. We got to move on, George. We got a big week <laughs> of movies this week. So, uh, I'll let, I'll let you go first with slice. Cause I'm really curious about this movie. So for those of you who don't know, slice is uh, a new movie from Austin Vesely. A 24 put it out. And the big catch was, they put it in theaters for one night, one showing only last night. But then it turned out they just ended up releasing it on demand at midnight. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming they just didn't announce that because they wanted people to go see it in theaters one night, you know. But you saw it, George. So tell me what you thought. Like, explain, the, explain what it is. Yeah. So Slice is kind of a throwback to, like, an old school 80s or 90s kind of uh, cheesy... It's got some noir elements and, and some kind of, like, ghost elements. It's it's kind of like uh, Monster Squad in a way. You know, creepy things in the world, but they're kind of played for laughs. Like, you know, Dracula has a hand grenade and Monster Squad and, like, blows up a kid's treehouse. And it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like in the, that same vein where they have these creatures that are traditionally scary, but it's kind of all played for laughs. And it's, it's more of a comedy than okay. a horror movie, but it's actually legitimately very funny, I thought. And, uh, cool. But, but the, the basic plot is there's this uh, town called Kingfisher. It had a insane asylum on, like, in the middle of town, and there was a horrific accident that it exploded, and it killed everybody inside, <laughs> and it created 40,000 ghosts. And so um, Chris Parnell, who's the mayor, decides to quarantine off a section of the city and just put a bunch of old abandoned houses and empty strip malls there and call that ghost town. And that's where all the ghosts can live and not bother all the real living people. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, and the, like what the, the main plot follows the, um, the perfect pizza base, which is a pizza store that is located in ghost town. Um, there is a ghost chef working there and a couple normal, like, human people that deliver pizzas to both ghosts and humans that are living in the area. And um, there's witches, werewolves, ghosts. They mention demons, but there aren't any demons featured, like, in the plot of the movie. Okay. But um, basically, uh, the main plot is pizza boys from this pizza place are being murdered. And uh, Zazie Beats comes in because her boyfriend is one of the pizza guys from perfect pizza base who gets killed and Uh. so she is like the more her plot is kind of the more serious 
hard-boiled. Yeah, she like, looks like the hard-boiled badass in the trailer. Right. She's kind of the noir on the like serious mission trying to go find what happened to her boyfriend, what's going on in the town, you know, yeah. kind of like she's kind of like the the foil to all this like very silly hijinks that are happening uh when she's not on screen. So, um, <laughs> I read that uh Chance the Rapper, his character used to deliver for a Chinese place yep, yep. that was good quality but cheap and <laughs> yeah. that's like a running gag. <laughs> yeah, there's a few Every review I read mentioned that for some reason. Well, like one he really makes it a point. Like they ask him <laughs> like why don't you just like like why aren't you an uh, I, I don't really know if I want to spoil it, but uh it's it's in every review that he is a werewolf. Okay. So basically when people like the, ask him the plot is he gets blamed, right? Cuz the yeah. murders start happening when he comes to town after his Chinese place gets closed and then everyone thinks he's the one doing the killings because he's a werewolf. Right. So Yum Yum Chinese Food was the place that he was a delivery boy for and when that place shut down, Perfect Pizza Base took over the space and became and was like in the same area and all those pizza boys were killed except for or the delivery boys were killed except for Chance the Rapper. And so people ask him throughout the movie like why he isn't an evil werewolf and he's just like you know what man i'm not that kind of guy i have high morals i just want to deliver good quality chinese food at reasonable (laughs) prices (laughs) so how is he at acting because Um, he's like never acted i don't think i didn't think he was bad he was better than i expected him to be i mean he's not a you know he's not really gonna blow you away with his performance or anything but (laughs) i thought he was perfectly competent i thought he was you know good in the role and i didn't really think twice about him being there as like kind of a token because he was a you know rapper and wants to get started his uh acting career i thought he was completely serviceable i think the reason he ended up in it is because of the director writer austin vesley or whatever right he does directed his music, music videos. videos yeah oh he does his music videos yeah yeah he did like two oh, that makes even more videos. sense and uh this was shot in this in, uh outside of chicago so People are really stoked about it. Does it look like Chicago? Yeah, I mean, it's like a very... I mean, there's like definitely some suburban areas, but there's also some kind of gritty, like, back-end streets that look kind of dirty and cool, gross. I mean, I, personally, I really love the movie. Oh, yeah. So, like, the reviews have been literally straight down the middle, but you were telling me earlier today that you think this has potential to become a cult classic. Yeah, I'd say this has, like, the absolute perfect amount of, like, it being divisive enough to, like, you either watch it and you buy into like the extra cheesiness of it and the kind of like out there humor and world and kind of i I mean the plots definitely takes a back seat to just like the world being so wacky and like the cheesiness and the jokes and the comedy and so i think it's like if you really buy into the world and you like the aesthetic of it and you follow that and you like the characters and you know all the visuals then you would like it because I, I really walked away thinking that was hilarious and I loved how it looked and how fun it was. But I think okay. people could focus on like the plot not being the strongest thing in the world and ask a bunch of questions that the movie doesn't have answers to and walking away being like, well, this really sucked because the plot wasn't great. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I'm excited. I'm going to rent it. It's available now. So uh, how much was Joe Keery in it? Is he just like a cameo? Um, He's in – he's like very – He's in a, a very few scenes. He's in, like, three scenes. Um, one of them, though, is really hilarious. I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but okay. um, if you've seen Office Space, I think you'd really get a kick out of it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Cool. And I saw Hannibal Buress is in it too. So it seems like they got they got some serious star power for this movie. Yeah, Hannibal Buress is also basically just a cameo appearance. He's in like the first scene and that's it. Okay. But um it mostly follows um Zazie Beats. I forget who the actor is. But she's great. Yeah. She played Domino in Deadpool 2 for everyone who's listening and doesn't know who she is. Yeah, she's a great actress. She's awesome. Um, it also follows the guy, he's from the league, who's like the short, bald guy, and he's the, the pizza place owner. I forget what the actor's name is. He's like a, a pretty big character, and he's hilarious. I thought he was the funniest character in the movie. Um, <laughs> there's one gimmick that I, I don't know if I want to spoil it or not, but uh, one of the pizza boys is um <laughs> constantly talking about his girlfriend Shelly and he's like okay <laughs> like he'll be like yeah I got to go deliver pizzas boss is it okay if I stop he's like uh this next pizza is being dropped off by my uh, my much older girlfriend Shelly's house is it okay if when I'm done dropping this off I go to her house <laughs> he just keeps calling her Shelly my much older girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> that's cool so there's just like some, know, some weird really I thought it was really funny, and I, I had a total blast with it. I highly recommend it. Wait, so how much is it to rent? Yeah, um, it's $5 to rent, $15 to buy on iTunes. And as I was looking that up, there's currently two reviews on iTunes that are 100% contradictory of one another. One review, <laughs> which was posted 27 hours ago, has the header Best Movie with the description Best Movie of the Year, and he gave it five stars. And then the next review is worst movie with the description wait when was that one posted eight hours ago and it said worst movie description (laughs) worst movie of the year one star so someone from a24 posted the best one because that's 27 hours ago before the movie was out well that'd be like right after they saw it because oh yeah 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 yeah. it was in well wait the movie didn't come out till midnight my time on iTunes. So if it was 27 hours ago... Yeah, but I mean, I means... saw it at 8 o'clock my time. So if I just was up but till... But how could you review it on iTunes? Well, if I was up till midnight and it dropped... Oh, I guess. You'd have to rent it just to review it. <laughs> I don't know. That's so it's weird. weird. It's <laughs> Cool. Well, so what would you give it on Letterboxd? Uh, I gave it a 4, and I also gave it a one-sentence review. Oh, I have to check that out. Do you want to read your one-sentence review? I said, Slice is stylized, hilarious, and nails the tone. And then I said, Relax, it's perfect pizza base with a pizza emoji. Cool. Oh, yeah, speaking of that tagline, we were able to get the sweet jackets from the movie because you found the website before it went live (laughs) at midnight. Yeah, that was... (laughs) Somehow. That was weird. Um, Shortly after seeing the movie, um, one of the biggest, like, tonal or I guess visual, like, interesting things about it is there's a jacket, which you see in the, the original trailer for the movie, with the Perfect Pizza Base logo on the back. It's like a red uh, reflective bomber jacket. And yeah. it says, relax, it's Perfect Pizza Base, which is the uh, slogan of the company. So I saw that, and I was like, man, that is really cool. If I can buy, uh, like, officially licensed version of that, I will, like, in one second, price is no object. And it took me literally an hour to find the website that <laughs> uh, had it, but they do have official merchandise for this movie. They have a hat, a t-shirt, and the jacket. And um, through various... The value <laughs> is definitely in the jacket's favor, because the jacket is 100 but the hat and the t-shirt are like 25 and 30 Yeah. So, like, you could pay $30 for a t-shirt, or you could pay, like, normal price for a sick jacket. Right. And, um, yeah, but yeah, that was found through a series of different different googling 
keywords before I found the website. And I was order number six and you were order number seven. (laughs) We're so dumb. But (laughs) yeah, dude, I'm excited to watch this movie. Yeah, Uh, I liked it a lot. Moving on, though, it's time to talk about The Predator, which is kind of like the most interesting movie of the year, but also the most boring because the first trailer sucked. The second trailer was mediocre. And then the one they put out last week was pretty good. Yeah, the the most recent trailer definitely got me really excited for it. It also premiered at Fantastic, or not Fantastic Fest, TIFF. And people were like 50-50 on it, which made sense because it's, after seeing it, it's a very messy movie. And TIFF is a pretty highbrow film festival. But also there was a controversy last week where Shane Black put a guy who uh, had some weird sexual shit with a 14-year-old and ended up going to jail for it. He Shane Black put that guy in the movie and didn't tell anyone. And actually, I I think I read online that the his part was to heckle Olivia Munn about how hot she was. So a, a kind of in poor taste. <laughs> yeah. And so Fox, in a good move, I think, deleted his scenes. In their infinite wisdom, cut him out of the movie. <laughs> they also chastised Olivia Munn for speaking out about it and left her out to dry, which I thought was kind of bullshit. But that aside, I went and saw an early screening of it last night, and I had a great time with this movie, dude. It was it was ridiculous how much fun this movie is. So, the plot is, um, it starts with, com- or not, Times New Roman, The Predator, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. It looked nice. Had a great score. A ship flies into orbit, lands on Earth, crash lands on Earth, uh, while uh, Boyd Holbrook's character, Quinn McKenna, is on a sniper mission. And he goes down to the ship, and he's like, fuck, I saw an alien. Uh, The government's going to definitely kill me on site Mm -hmm. because they don't want me to know about this alien. So he takes the mask from the Predator's ship, and he takes the arm gauntlet with some guns and stuff on it and mails it back to his kid, Rory, who's played by Jacob Tremblay. And turns out, yeah, the government, not happy that um, (laughs) he found an alien. So then he gets put on, like, a psych eval bus to go get... Uh, his brain basically scrambled with a bunch of other misfit soldiers with who are Thomas Jane and Keegan-Michael Key, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the other Jordan Peele opposite man, right? and some other cool people. And How was he then it turns movie? out, you know what? I thought he was going to suck. He is great. He is absolutely hilarious. The joke that was in the trailer, they put it in the wrong spot. <laughs> and when it's in context, it's hilarious because uh, Thomas Jane has Tourette's mm-hmm. and he has anger issues in addition to Tourette's. So that joke is used to piss him off. Um, uh, and they make my little brother's favorite joke in the movie where it's like, how do you circumcise a hillbilly? Uh-huh. Kick your mom in the chin. <laughs> that's one of the jokes that sets Thomas Jane off. Uh, so that's like, that's the humor this movie goes for. But a lot of the humor is pretty damn funny. And a lot of the humor is also played with gore. And this might be the goriest movie I've ever seen. Really? It is insane. I think there was a rule in place where they couldn't go 10 minutes without showing someone having a limb dismembered from their body. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Once it, The movie's pace is really fast. And the first act is really well put together. It sets things up incredibly well. The second act is a little shaky, but mostly great. And then the third act is where you can tell they did most of the reshoots because it feels like they only left in the major plot points and cut out other massive chunks of the movie. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, though, I feel like this movie's pace is so fast that its technical issues never really catch up to it. 
Like, you're able to just kind of forget about the shit that's bugging you and move on. Right. Would you say that you needed to be a fan of the Predator series or see the other movies to enjoy this one? Or is it pretty standalone? Um, I've like I've seen the first Predator a couple times. I actually had it on UMD on PSP. <laughs> and I've seen Predator 2 a few times. I've seen the third one. I like them all. I'm not a huge Predator fan or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, these are cool. I understand why these are cool. And I loved it. So I don't think you need to be a huge Predator fan or anything. Like, it has a fair amount of fan service. They say motherfucker a lot. They There's a get to the choppers line. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But there's also, like, some other good references. There's a Haunted Mansion reference, which is bizarre. Like I, I laughed. The ride? The Disneyland Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't spoil what it is, but it's a, it's a great. It's a great gag. Every joke in this movie is funny for the most part there were a couple i didn't laugh at but this movie is an action comedy more than a horror movie mm-hmm. and the the jokes are just so good uh one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing is olivia munn ends up shooting herself in the foot with a tranquilizer dart and she gets passed out or passes out and the soldiers take her with them because uh sterling Cape brown is a bad guy the government is a bad guy in this movie because it's an 80s movie through and through right so he says, whatever, she's seen the alien, just kill her. So they, the soldiers, they escape. They take her with them. And she's asleep, and they're all in a hotel room. And they don't, they don't want to freak her out when she wakes up. So they just put her on the bed, and they put, like, a bunch of snacks around her and tea and stuff. And one of them makes this shitty unicorn out of tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a great scene. It's really charming. The acting was great. The writing was great. The direction could use some work. Uh, but... Overall, I thought it was pretty good. The CGI, though, that's where this movie Amazing. really fucks up. No, oh, the CGI bad. is terrible. <laughs> so bad. The CGI is what stops this from being a great movie to me because it sucks. And there's a whole arc with the Predator dogs that I feel like could have been removed from the entire movie and it would have been better for it because the dog looks terrible and the gag that they kept it in for isn't funny. So it's like, you should have just taken that out. <laughs> but... I don't know. Do you have any other questions about it? I mean, so is the gore, like, pretty practical effects? Like, it all looks pretty... It's mostly practical. Yeah. There's a couple moments where the big predator is killing people and gutting them and stuff, and you can tell that the blood is digital, but there's a lot of it, so you're like, okay, that's a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. I can understand that it's digital. But there are multiple points in this movie where you see people's, like, intestines hanging out of them, and those are all practical, and it's pretty pretty good. And uh, you know how much I hate kid actors, but Jacob Tremblay... He killed it. He's like a really cute little kid. He's a good actor. Nice. Glad to hear that since that's a very easy point to fuck up on in a movie like that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good gags about killing people in front of him and <laughs> saying words you shouldn't in front of a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, that the Halloween part of it is barely in the movie. They tease a Halloween dance that never happens, and uh, the kid goes trick-or-treating kind of off-screen, and then... He goes to one house and something happens that's a big action moment and then that's it for Halloween. So I didn't like that. But uh, the new setting was great. Georgia was a really cool place to set this movie. And I don't know, man. If, you, if you're if you like... I saw someone on my uh, channel who's like, they're turning this into an action comedy and not a horror movie. And it's like, you've never seen any Predator. You've never seen any Predator, Predator past never the a first one. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you're going to go in expecting something on the level of alien you're, you're not going to get it this right. is a fun actiony really funny popcorn movie with a ton of gore 
and I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I mean that that's basically what I expected out of it. I didn't <laughs> I was like going in for like deep intricate plot and uh you yeah. know, like characters I'd be invested in. So um I'm glad that it turned out to be pretty good and I'm I'm excited to see it this weekend. It's definitely worth seeing in the theater. Honestly, it's in IMAX and I feel like if you go see it in IMAX three D, it could fix a lot of the CGI problems because three D kind of smooths over a lot of bad CGI mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of the blood would play well in three D. I, I cannot stress enough how gory this movie is. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. And uh, the poster, you know the poster that has the big predator holding the little predator's head? Yeah. There's actually... You get to see it. Um, <laughs> at, like, my local AMC, or AMC and MJR theaters, at the bars, they have, like, big racks of coasters that just have okay. that logo on them. <laughs> okay. So I, I took, like, three of them <laughs> last time That's I was awesome. at the movies. You see the big predator punch the little predator's head so hard that it caves in, and then he pulls his spine out. I mean, you gotta have a spine move. Which happens very early in the movie and has already been spoiled in trailers, so I don't feel like that's a big deal. Right. But I I called him the little predator. He's a normal predator, but the big predator is 11 feet tall. Oh, oh, he's a a really big predator. (laughs) Yeah, he's huge. (laughs) And he can, can, like... uh, kind of speak english a little bit Mm -hmm. which is pretty funny when they start talking to him so what would you give this movie on letterboxd so out of 10 i give it a 7.9 but since that's not really an option on letterboxd i give it a three and a half so seven out of ten pretty fair um yeah it's something i would go see again it's not really forgettable to me i thought it was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. yeah because this one's also one that seems kind of split like uh people either have a lot of fun with it or they don't like it Right. So, So, I mean, I don't know. People, this might be a little controversial, but I understand that some people might not see this movie because of the stuff with Shane Black and the, you know, predator stuff. (laughs) He's a predator. But um, I don't feel like it's fair to everyone else who worked on this movie and had no idea that guy was involved because that's how it came out to be, that Shane Black was the only one other than the actual guy who knew that this happened. And... Olivia Munn was able to find out last week, but I don't think it's really fair to, you know, potentially cost these people money and future jobs by not seeing their movie because of a mistake on the director. And his apology was pretty good, I think. I think he owned up to it. He said he realized after thinking about it and hearing from other people why that would be a mistake to have that guy included in movies and they edited the scene out so fox handled it really well i feel like shane black handled it as well as he could and i don't feel like it's fair to like take away money from the other people involved with this movie uh so i i think it's worth seeing yeah i'm i'm gonna see it for sure this weekend cool so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with our review of the nun All right, we're back from our quick break, and this week we're reviewing The Nun, which we both saw last week. So this one's directed by Corin Hardy, written by Gary Doberman. Uh, it stars Damien Bashir as Father Burke, Tysa Farmiga as Sister Irene, Bonnie Aarons as Valak, and Jonas Bloquet as Frenchie. 
So this is the earliest movie in the Conjuring timeline. It takes place in 1952, which is three years before Annabelle creation. It centers on Damien Bashir's character, Father Burke, who goes on a mission to uh, Romania sent by the Vatican with Sister Irene. She's not actually a nun yet. She uh, is in the middle of her final vows. And the Vatican sends them to investigate the death of a young nun in Romania and confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun, and that's Valak. So, uh... I'll start out. I didn't really enjoy this movie that much. <laughs> Did you? Um, I thought it was okay. Like, um, so I'll start with the things I liked about it. Mm-hmm. I thought that the aesthetics of it, like the gothic architecture of the castles and the creepy, you know, foggy graveyard with the old dead hanging trees and all that. I thought all that looked good and set the tone well for the movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's fair. I thought that the soundtrack was awesome. I love the, like, deep choir bellows as, like, Valak stalking the halls and stuff for, like, the two scenes that she's in. I thought that, like, those are, like, the music really, like, gets you in the, like, right mood. Just had to slide that in there. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> and uh, I thought that Frenchie, who shows up, he basically just bookends the movie, um... I thought he was kind of a fun character, and he was pretty affable when he was on screen. But um, other than that, I thought the plot was pretty weak. There is, um, like, there's no plot. The The plot pretty much begins and ends with them going to investigate the nun who committed suicide. And you see the twist from a mile away. There, there, it's not even a twist. You're just like, oh, this is what's going on. And then it turns out that's what's going on. I don't want to spoil it in case someone didn't figure it out or hasn't seen it yet, but... I was really let down by the script of this movie. I feel like the Corin Hardy really did a great job directing it. I feel like visually it was stunning and there were some really cool scare moments. Did it feel like to you it had more jump scares though, like cheap jump scares than the other Conjuring movies? You know, this is weird. And I, and you kind of touched on this earlier too when we were talking about it. It definitely had a lot of like cheap jump scares in it where it was just, you know, things jumping out at you, music cues, things like that. But I I feel like it's the least scary movie in the Conjuring series. I'm not being facetious, dude. There is not a single moment in this movie that scared me. I mean, there's definitely scenes that I saw that I was like, oh, that was like pretty creepy. But I was never like the level of like the Conjuring one or two where I was genuinely like, oh boy, this is like really got me like <laughs> really got me right <laughs> oh, now. Boy. Like I. I don't know. Like, usually these movies get me way more. Like, I didn't... Even Annabelle had that one moment in the elevator. Yeah, like, the elevator scene is super memorable. And you don't really have any scene like that in this movie. There's not, like, one good scare scene that you're like, you know, The Nun was kind of lackluster, but it has this one great scene that really saves the movie. And I think, like, instead of having one good scene in a really bad movie it just kind of was mediocre throughout so it's like very forgettable yeah yeah it it is forgettable and you know what the weirdest thing about it was that they included tysa farmiga and didn't tie her to uh vera farmiga in any way they look almost identical and it's it's just weird there's no reason she should have been in this franchise if they weren't going to tie her into her sister it's just it doesn't make any sense uh, but I thought, you know what? I thought she did a good job. I don't really think she's a great actress from seeing a bunch of seasons of, uh, you know, American Horror Story. But she really 
exceeded my expectations in this uh, for her. And uh, I thought thought Damien Bashir's character was really good. Yeah, I thought both of them, since it's mostly focused on them throughout the whole movie, um, you know, they get the most screen time. I thought they did actually a pretty good job. They were believable uh-huh. and, like, their costumes look good. I thought um, Father Burke was, like... He was a pretty cool character. I mean, there wasn't a ton of substance to him, but, like, he had a good... Like, he felt kind of imposing. Like, he had some kind of, you know, like, church power behind him. But, um... Yeah. It, it just... Like, the plot really doesn't go anywhere. Like, it really spins its wheels for most of the movie. Right. And they try and pull this thing where the title... You think The Nun. It's called The Nun because it's about Valak. But it's called The Nun because it's about Sister Irene. And that's not really a spoiler, but... The biggest problem is Valak is barely in this movie. I honest, like, honest to God, if I quantified it, I think she's in this movie less than she's in The Conjuring 2. I'd agree with that. Which is bullshit. Because that's the whole reason anyone is there. Because Bonnie Ahrens deserves better than that. She's a she's a really good, creepy nun. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the, the character of Valak, I, I said this before on the show, is genuinely terrifying. Like, when I yeah, saw her in The Conjuring, it made my skin crawl. But in this movie, like, the chance you really have to just build a million scares around this horrifying character, they barely use her. Right. They introduce another demon to fuck with uh, Father Burke, and it's a kid demon, so who cares? (laughs) And they introduce snakes for some... It's so weird. It's like you have... The movie is called The Nun. Everyone is there to see Valak. You introduce another demon who's in the movie more than Valak? It doesn't make any sense. And there's... There's one scare scene which looked really creepy to me in one of the TV spots where Damien Bashir ends up in a coffin and then hands grab him from behind. And that was the that was the most disappointing scare to me. I liked it once he was actually in the coffin, but it's so weird. He just teleports into a coffin underground. Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> they try and do some weird, clever foreshadowing with it where uh, Sister Irene looks at some bells on all the gravestones at this uh, monastery's graveyard and damien she was like oh it's because they used to bury people alive sometimes and they'd come back and then ring the bell and then not even 10 minutes later that's he's underground and ringing the bell so okay that that really reminded me of in so like the way they set that up where um and obviously like these aren't the only two movies ever do that but where they show something and they're like yep so like this thing is gonna be a scare later like you see it and you're like yep they're gonna use that in later in the movie for some kind of scare or something kind of something the bells like they mention the bells specifically so they're gonna use them and right. like the um other movie i can think of off the top of my head that really does that is in annabelle creation when the little girl first shows up to the house and you see that there's like that uh chair that slowly yeah. goes up the staircase and you're right. like oh that's definitely going to be used for a scare later like she's gonna have to use that chair and very slowly creep down these stairs while something fast is coming after her and like when that scene was in the movie it was like scary intense because you're like oh my god like go faster go faster but this was like oh boy all the bells in the graveyard are ringing yeah <laughs> <laughs> The weirdest part about that is, too, when she gets to the graveyard, the, she knows what bell is Father Burke's. Okay. Because so, it's the only one ringing. Like, so she finds his grave immediately, and then every other bell starts ringing, and then she's like, oh, shit, I don't know which one it is. Well, It's out of order. So the, the really weird thing about this is, so they have Tessa Farmiga, who's the sister of Vera Farmiga, who's in the Conjuring movies. Oh, is she? I didn't know that. And 
Uh, yeah, surprising, I know. But it's like, not only do they look very similar, but they give Tessa Farmiga's character, like, almost an Elaine Warren, like, power that they use in the other Conjuring movies where she can, like, right. see things and, like, has visions and has dreams and, like, has the powers that Elaine Warren has in the later movies, but don't connect them. Like, how hard would it be to just make it, like, she's the great ancestor. Like, why would they you not just, put that dude, in the movie? You set the it up. timeline lines up. They set her up as a nun who's undecided about whether or not she wants to take her vows. Spoilers, I guess. That's not really a spoiler. And all they had to do was say, have her be like, man, I don't want to take my vows. I'm going to quit being a nun and go be an exorcist. Move to America. And by the 70s, she'd be as old as Vera Farmiga. Like, come on they set it up to make her elaine warren and it's not like they haven't already taken a billion liberties with these characters they act like the conjuring the conjuring 2 are like some people act like they're documentaries and they're not even close they they take a lot of creative liberties oh for sure with i mean a lot like, of shit i mean the warrens are basically con artists they weren't like yeah <laughs> i mean they weren't like you know like legitimate really like, right. religious like advocates or exorcists but i mean like i, I how hard would it be to just connect those two characters when you literally make them look so similar, cast sisters in the role, give them the same abilities, and then just throw that right in the garbage? It makes no sense. And the tie-in to the Annabelle creation doesn't make any goddamn sense. Because, so in Annabelle creation, if everyone out there has seen that, which they probably have because these movies make billions of dollars. It's insane. So... There's a picture of Sister Charlotte, I think is her name. She pulls it out, and it's like her and four nuns, and Mr. Mullins and Annabelle Creation is like, oh, who's this? She's like, oh, that fifth nun, I didn't notice her. And she, like, looks at it. It's so obviously valid. Right. It's like, that's not a nun. This is a fucking demon. (laughs) She's like, oh, shit. That's crazy. I didn't notice that fifth nun. Like, imagine you had a family portrait, and someone was like, hey, who's that guy with no head in the background? you're like, oh. I never noticed a decapitated guy squirting blood out of his neck before. It's kind of weird. Uh, anyways, uh, I live on Dice Road. That's why I have this photo. But so she's like, yeah, I lived in Romania for a while. I stayed with these nuns. And that movie takes place in 1955. How the fuck does she have that picture? Because that picture shows up in The Nun in 1952. And there's a big spoiler, which I can't talk about. But something happens to the nuns in the monastery that make it impossible for her to encounter them after 1952 and grab that photo. So there's a weird continuity error there. And then the other tie-in, they basically reshot the ending of one of the other movies and made it look like it ties in, but whatever. It's kind of a retcon that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's really trying to make itself fit in the universe when really they didn't have to try that hard to fit it in all they had to do was put a lot of valak in it who was in the other conjuring movie she's in two just make a scary movie about a character that's in another conjuring movie that's the connection you don't have to make it so hard there's zero characterization in the entire movie and they try and do it with father burke where he didn't exorcism on this kid but he's like damn i think he died before i exorcised the demon fuck that's his whole it yeah, just really haunts concept. him the whole movie it's just like man <laughs> it's I, like it's like shit dude i don't know if i exercised the demon before that kid yeah, it's like hey father burke how you doing he's like you know 
did I exercise the demon out of that kid? And it's like, when was that? He's like, ah, like five years ago. <laughs> It's like, have you ever done another exorcism since then? Like, you are the church's main exorcist. Like, you have bigger things to worry about. They're in Valak's domain. Because it turns out that there's a gate to hell in this monastery that they have to close. Like, what? It's it's so dumb. This is a minor... Spoiler, I'm sure if you're if you're already mad if that we've spoiled stuff, but whatever. You probably tuned out at this point. If you're still here, minor spoiler coming up. They show the how the gate to hell opened, but it never actually opened. The the guy who was opening it got killed before he was able to open the gate to hell. But then they're like, Oh yeah, this is a uh, the castle got bombed during uh, World War Two, so that might have brought out the that might have opened it. We don't know. It's like you can't come up with a more definitive answer. And the way that they show this flashback, they show for the like third time, they show this establishing shot of the real monastery, and then there's 19 CGI nuclear weapons dropping on it. Yeah. And the only damage this place has sustained is there's a hole in the roof. Yeah, like, I mean the God, castle you showed like 20 bombs falling. Right, on it. I mean the castle is like almost 100 percent intact. There's a couple holes, and there's like the watchtowers look a little messed up, but like, like what? The main structure of the church is almost untouched. So. Like, I'd understand if it was, like, literally falling apart, like, if the walls were, like, falling over and, like, crumbling in on each other. But it just, it just looks like an old abandoned church. It doesn't look like some run-down, like, destroyed building. Yeah, and it's not, I don't think it's fair that Corin Hardy is going to take all the shit for how weak this movie's story is when it's not even his fucking fault. It's because Gary Doberman is writing so many fucking movies. The dude's writing It Chapter 2. He's writing and directing Annabelle 3. He wrote this movie. He'll probably end up writing The Conjuring 3, which starts shooting next year. Like, the guy has too much on his plate, and this movie definitely suffered because of it. Because he's written better stuff. He rewrote It Chapter 1. He wrote Annabelle Creation. Right. <laughs> he's written good movies. But this movie, it felt like he was like, all right. This movie just felt like the story they were trying to tell required a bigger scale and a bigger budget than the studio and the writer were willing to put into it or even just more focus on right like what the main plot is it's like a little bit of spoilers what they're trying to find but i mean it's basically a like an indiana jones style quest for a relic and if they would have maybe shifted the focus to that instead of like doing the whole exorcist side plot it might have don't, like, yeah. they try to go find the relic, but Valak is in the castle, and she's defending it, and she's just scaring the shit out of people and killing people. Like, that might have been interesting, but it it seems like they just focused on the wrong aspects and didn't really fill it with anything that was that, like, terrifying or interesting. It just is very... <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, washed out. I don't understand what happened to this movie, but... I, it... I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it, but it's definitely, in my opinion, the weakest Conjuring movie. I remember more stuff from Annabelle than I remember from this movie, and I saw it a week ago. <laughs> I, it's definitely tough. It's it's in the bottom two for sure for me. I don't know if it's if it beats Annabelle or not, but um, like I don't know. It's definitely not uh, as good as I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah. I was really let down by it. 
but I'm just going to pretend that my little Valak doll is from The Conjuring, Conjuring 2. 2. <laughs> Actually, I don't really care because Valak in the two scenes she's in in this movie is great. She's awesome. Bonnie I, I mean, as a character, amazing. she is very terrifying and she looks, I, I mean, she looks as good as she does in um, Conjuring 2. Yeah, and totally. She's definitely a very creepy character and deserves to be like recognized as kind of a modern horror icon, I feel. Oh, totally. But uh, this movie will almost 100% get a sequel oh, because it, it made, made the most huge... money of the entire Conjuring franchise. It was actually the first movie to knock Crazy Rich Asians out of the number one spot at the box office. Yeah, so this movie will definitely get a sequel. There's no question about it. And the story they set up for this nun to come back, I feel like she'll be much more prominent in whatever they do next. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely room to tell more stories, but um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of weird that this one had so much going for it and wasn't able to deliver like was executed yeah. so poorly so i was stoked dude this was this was really disappointing to me honestly like i was really bummed i called you right when i got out of the theater yeah. i was really bummed out <laughs> i was like damn that sucks yeah what a bummer yeah so it, it was disappointing i mean hopefully the sequel's better since we know it's, it's gonna get one since all the money it made but um it, it is definitely not a very strong entry in the Conjuring cinematic universe. I gave it a two and a half on Letterboxd. Yeah, I gave it a three. Just because I felt it was very, like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Like, it was okay. I don't really have anything, like, that crazy good to say about it. And I don't really have, like, a... There's not, like, a damning thing about this movie that I'm like, yep, this movie is definitely a big piece of shit because this thing happened. It's just, like, it just feels very... It's just mediocre. Yeah. And the Conjuring series has moved past mediocrity, I felt like. It was <laughs> right. like, man, they learned their lesson with Annabelle 1. Right. Because the Conjuring 2 and Annabelle 2 were great. And then they matched Annabelle 1 in mediocrity. Yeah. It's like, so okay. It's definitely a, a disappointing step back. Yeah. Uh, but some people seem to like it. More people seem to like it than not. But every negative review had the same problems we did that I read. So I'm fine with that. I don't feel like an idiot for not liking this movie, which is always good. <laughs> But let us know what you thought of The Nun by emailing us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne. And where can we find you, George? Uh, I'm on all the social medias at George Frizzard. Sick, man. Um, I don't have any closing remarks. Uh, if you do, you can say them and then bring us home. Uh, I don't have anything. Just, uh, as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews. And you never know who might be listening.